Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. We're so happy to be having this um, event here at the, st- at the store. Uh, we're very happy to have uh, Susie Bright back in the store. And yes, yes, wonderful. Um, when Lou was talking to us about this book, I said, well, as long as Susie Bright is coming, you know, as long as she's coming, because um, uh, uh, I was mesmerized when he- she was here for the very first time. Um, I want to do what she does when she was the sexual choreographer for Bound, right? I was like, what a cool gig is that, okay? <laughs> to, be <laughs> to do the sexual choreography, that is awesome. Um, uh, Susie's also the best-selling, is a best-selling author, journalist, audio producer, and editor. Her past works include the best American erotica, Herotica, and Full Exposure, as well as the memoir Big Sex, Little Death. Bright was a screenwriter and her consultant for Bound, Erotique, the Celluloid Closet, Transparent, and Criterion Collections, reissue of Belle du Jour. She was editor at large for Audible, Audible Studios and is the host of Audible's longest running podcast, In Bed with Susie Bright. And she's a lifelong Californian, but we're happy to have her in Southern California. Please welcome Susie Bright. Talk. 
all the work was smuggled out. I mean, it's just superb. If you know what I mean about watching radio film directors get their films out, imagine that in a collection. It's remarkable. So anyway, I can say uh, the publisher's name is Johnny. Johnny, let me say it. You know I can do it. I've done dozens of anthologies. And he said, no, you're too small. And I was like, our myth is you could drop me in myths, and people would know what Santa Cruz was. They would say, surf's up. You know, we are known. And it is that legend that has been going on for more than a century that I want to So um, that's how it came together. Then it was like meeting all these wonderful people. It's so fun because I'm looking at everybody sitting up front here who you're going to hear tonight. And I didn't know any of you, really, until this happened. It's just a remarkable way to meet you. And I'll introduce them. We're all going to read just a tiny bit. We decided to run this like a really strict, mean drama school entertainment, you know, first. Um, you're just going to get a teaser that's just going to make your panties start getting all twisty because you want to hear the rest, but you're not going to. <laughs> um, I'm going to beat you, start, kick it off with uh, a little... Um, page from the introduction, and then we'll hear uh, teasers from... Can you hear me just fine, even though I'm not using the mic? Good. Every town has its noirville. We live in what's called paradise, where you can wake up in a pool of blood with the first pink rays of the sunrise peeking out over the mountain range. The dewy mist lifts from the bay. Don't hate us because we're beautiful. We were made that way. Like Venus rising off the foam with a brick in her hand. We can't help it if you fall for it every time. We live in a place where the screaming never stops. And no, I don't mean the publicly psychotic. Our crown jewel, the, real, the reason a million plus pleasure seekers visit every year is the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk a roller coaster screaming cotton candy amusement park. Our most famous ride is called the Big Dipper. We'll plunge you 70 feet down its wooden tracks at 55 miles per hour. Your cries all the way down River Five. Oh yeah, you had a good time. How many of you have been on the Big Dipper? Let's see. Right? You screamed. I know you did. Well, the other afternoon, one of my many visitors on the weekend walked in the back door with happy sunburn and Foster's free softie in hand. If I lived in a place like this, my friend said, I'd wake up with a smile every day. Oh, we do. Thank you for that. There's no beauty like a merciless beauty. And like every crepuscular predator, she thrives at dawn and dusk. Just the insect. The lady for the big paper comb and sugar shark cotton. Which out of paper? Nothing. We have just the ride for you, the longest tunnel ever. Santa Cruz is everything you ever dreamed and everything you ever screamed. In one long drop. Yes. <laughs> author is not in the front row, but he might have gotten here. Is Tommy Warren? Is Tommy? I met Tommy through 
This is fine. You got it? Yeah, yeah, it's okay. fine. It's fine. beach that night, the mushrooms hit her hard. We were both laughing at nothing, and she settled down next to me by the fire. I put her on top of me. I liked her like that. I kissed her. She became very still. She froze sometimes. I didn't mind. I kissed her again, and buttoned and pulled down her jeans, and then slid her up my chest and onto my face. The warmth between her legs, I had all of it. I felt a shift in her again as I laid her down. When I came, she pushed me off. Her pupils were huge, spooked. I put my arms around her, held her tight. She struggled. I hugged her tighter. I've got to go. Let's go, she said. Calm down, I said. It's just the mushrooms. Sit down with me by the fire. We'll smoke some weed. She struggled. I hugged her tighter, her head on my chest. It's okay. It's okay. Relax, I whispered as I stroked her little head. Her whimpers turned to panic and then screams. I nuzzled her head into my neck and that's when she bit my ear. I hit her, but she just bit down harder. So I hit her again and when she let grow, go, I grabbed her by the hair and pulled her to the ground. She was blubbering, drooling blood. It was my blood and I could feel it warm running down my neck. I kneeled down on her chest and held my hand over her mouth until she was still and the only sound was my beating heart and the raw ocean wind and the waves upon the shore. Thanks. It always messes with your mind when the prisoners think you're weirder than whatever they did. Just tell them, you know, if you write it out, you wouldn't land up here. <laughs> U-Haul had the usual cue. I couldn't wait to drive back to the cottage to set up my desk. I'd made sure to leave space in the living room to house the library I'd need for six months. The girl was sitting on my couch when I opened the door. 
You took too long, she said. You've broken and entered my cottage. Are your parents home? You seem stressed out. You shouldn't get stressed out, although I suppose that's just what your kind does. My kind? Why, yes, the lower middle class is always stressed out. I dropped my eyes. I couldn't look at her. I need time alone to set up my office, I said. Well, it's too bad you couldn't afford a new laptop. This space could do without the clutter of older technology. But, shakuna songu, as mother says. She stood up and I escorted her out and locked the windows and deadbolted the door this time. When people around here want to chill out, they go to Natural Bridges State Park, she said. You should too. Relax. I unboxed my books and set up my old iMac on the old secretary's desk I brought with me. I had a laptop too, a MacBook Air. Sure, it was a few years old. That just proves they last. I was muttering to myself again. I took out my old iPod, a speaker out of a box, and, and put on something old too. There was nothing on the iPod newer than 2006. I mean, my phone has newer to things, but this particular device didn't. The little girl wasn't even there, and I was still justifying. I picked up my phone and dialed Sharon's cell phone. I left her a message. Could she meet me somewhere so we could have coffee and chat? There were still a few things I wanted to go over. Every light was on in cabin 21. It glowed yellow with a tinge of algae green. Outside flashlights from spectators blazed dots in the darkness. Karen inhaled the grapefruit burn of Douglas fir and smoke from the nearby campfire. Some girls getting exercised! A chubby boy in shorts called out from the dirt pathway. He was new to camp. Karen had heard that he had just accepted Christ at group worship last night. The lukewarm squealed and gathered tightly as if that, 
that would keep them safe. The boy waited a few minutes as if he expected them to join him. When no one did, he disappeared across the way to see what was happening. The Catholics call it exorcism, but Christians don't, Rachel said. Rachel's father was the minister of New Hope. Lisa's grandparents had been in the same World War II camp as Rachel's. If you're born again, you can't be demon-possessed, Wendy assured them. The devil has no hold on you. Wendy, always a good cabin leader, was steady and calm. But you can be oppressed, Rachel said. What does that mean? A lukewarm asked. That a de demon can attach to you, Karen said. They can't take over, but they can still bother you. They can enter through a weak spot. Rachel squinted her eyes as if she was reassessing Karen's level of spirituality. Before Karen could say anything more, the chubby boy in shorts was back standing in front of their cabin. She began to realize that he had a crush on someone in the cabin. It's Lisa Tanizaki, the boy called out. They want Karen Abe to come to Cabin 21. snap out of it and fuck me! The outside is going off! The inside is loaded with kooks. The boys are all over first peak. Shracking! Monster sets 
of a, from a huge south are rolling through with super long lulls and a takeoff so narrow you gotta be the earliest, chargingest, deep throatness motherfucker or fuck you, you're not getting anything. This shit is gnarly. This shit is mine. I don't remember suiting up. I don't even remember paddling out. Just seems like I'm suddenly in the thick of it. Raging. Yelling at every kook I see. Fuck you faggots! Paddling right in front of all the Barneys and thinking, Make room for me boys! Priority is mine! But goddamn! I'm... I'm too amped. Pulse pounding. Can't chill. Timing's off. The extra 50 I gained in jail on top of the crank and beer cocktail is messing me up. It's slowing me down. My wave, fuckhead! My wave! But my fat fucker pop-up is too slow, too late. No way am I gonna make it. I can feel my extra body weight dragging me down as I pearl my board and eat it right into the bowl. Then I get sucked back up the face. Feel that moment of weightlessness. Then over the falls, right onto my best board. Underwater screaming, fuck! <laughs> it's a major hold down. Hitting the bottom, ragdoll to shit, donuts all the way. I finally pop up on the inside, puking seawater. I paddle the bottom half of my board back in and smash the shit out of it on the railing. All eyes on me in the lot as the assholes bear witness to the sketchiest, gnarliest, most fucked up sesh of all time. I go to get in my truck and of course the keys are still in the ignition. The door is locked. My fist goes right through the window. Don't even feel it. Like a GoPro slow-mo. Don't remember driving home. Next thing I remember, I'm ramming that piece of shit truck right up onto the lawn at the bitch's apartment. My goddamn hand is aching now. Bleeding like a motherfucker. Whatever. <laughs> John said, should I put my name on this? And I was like, I dare you. Do it. Do it. The people who need to read it need to read it so bad. And all of us in the front row are smiling because we all know this person. We all, we all know them. Um, another person who I've lived with in town for years and we never got to really know each other is Shauna Graham, who was working at Bookshop when I was first like whispering around the store that I was going to do this book. We have a it's our version of Skylight. Bookshop Santa Cruz been around forever. Beloved bookstore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, Shauna and I talked, and she had, you know, has been a book critic and been a writer for a long time. And we started talking about our favorite crimes in Santa Cruz. And she was like, you know, what neighborhood do you need a little extra love for? And I was like, Sea Right Harbor, Beyond Harbor. It's tiny, like a like a doll. But um, a lot of interesting shit goes down. Shauna, would you like to give him a take? It's called Safe Harbor. Uh, <clears throat> 
She was standing right at the bar the night Ray walked in, a hair breadth from skinny, and Ray tended to like his women with, li with a little more meat on their bones. It had been a long day at work. He'd only come to Brady's for a drink before heading home. Her tattoos intrigued him. That serpent that disappeared under her shirt. People had tattoos in Detroit, of course, but Californians seemed to embrace body art with an abandon he hadn't seen back home. Milder weather? Sheer exhibitionism, the Midwesterner in him scoffed. Skinny girl must have felt his gaze, because she turned right around and began her own frank appraisal of him. If she wasn't actually a prostitute, she wasn't in this place for the conversation either. Ray stepped up to the bar and ordered a drink, offering one to the lady as well. She peered at him with huge green eyes and accepted. She told him her name was Jazz and that she'd just come down from San Francisco. Her tattoos might disguise the fact that she was from the South, but it didn't take Ray long to grasp that she was a long way from home. Caught out, she admitted her real name was Jasmine, that she was escaping some trouble back in Memphis. Everything about her suggested she'd brought a lot of it with her. On that first night, Ray asked Jasmine if she'd come out to California to see the Pacific Ocean. She looked at him strangely, as though he wasn't quite right in the head. No sugar, she said. I came to California for the money. It seemed as good a line as any to start their negotiations. I'm so glad we do now. We're neighbors. We're neighbors, yeah. And she wrote um, definitely the most magical. Well, my both of you. It's interesting. Um, and yours is called Misha and the Seal. On the morning of her mother's last day, she stopped by her daughter's shack and pulled one of the ubiquitous blue and white striped dream-in towels from her Saint-Tropez beach bag. I got you this, she said, dropping the towel on Misha's futon. You stole a towel from the hotel? So you can still go, even after I leave. But you stole it. Anything to get you out of sitting in this crappy shack and doing nothing but surfing all day and serving drunk people burgers all night. Go sit up there instead. Think about what you're doing and what you really came here to do. Her mother looked down. I don't know why I even bother. It's not like you listen. Misha considered returning the towel, but she really did like it there. The pool deck hovering over the beach like some cruise ship from space coming in for a landing in the snug little cove beneath the cliffs. Misha and her mother walked to the ocean to go for the last swim of her mother's visit. Misha watched her mother's form from a distance. So many sea lions and seals streaming through the gray flatness. 
When Misha looked back, she realized she'd lost track of her. What she thought was her mother's bobbing head turned out to be a nearby seal. She scanned the ocean, growing panicked. Her mother had been a distant swimmer once. She was nowhere to be seen. Susie. Um, the only thing you need to know is our narrator is uh, private eye, Suki Sukunik. She describes herself as a failed professor, failed topless dancer, but successful poet and successful private investigator. She's on her way to South County uh, to investigate a missing persons case. A chef named Chef Tong has disappeared, and he was heavily involved in cockfighting in South County in Watsonville uh, and people don't realize this now but uh, until even today uh, Santa Cruz County is the largest site for cockfighting in the country it's, it has been since the 50s the day was too nice for the freeway I took my Carmen Ghia through the apple orchards and Victorian farmhouses then rolled down my window as I passed the Coralitos meat market to enjoy the scent of burning applewood and smoking linguisa. I found the address, an impros impressive stone gate with a bronze sign affixed, Rancho Sandoval. Uncle Mike was behind the gate, an older, sturdier version of Leobardo on horseback, a beautiful roan that must have stood 17 hands high. I waved and he walked the gate open and then walked it closed behind me, a nice bit of horsemanship. I leaned out and looked up at him. Don Miguel, como esta? He laughed. Yeah, Leo Barlow said you would try out your Spanish. He said not to encourage you. <laughs> it's Mike. Follow me. He set out at a canter and then got up to speed, cutting through short grass and vetch that fronted the rows of apple trees. I followed on the concrete, which became a well-graded dirt, well dirt out of the side of the frontage road. It was almost three minutes to the house and outbuildings, clustered on a wide meadow, backed onto Coralitos Creek. It was as close to a hacienda as anything I'd seen on this side of the border. 
Off to one side was what looked like a full-size rodeo arena with metal stands. In back, a parking lot. Mike went inside and came out bearing two sweating bottles of Noche Buena. He handed one over. Let's walk and talk. Leo Bardo told me two things. He said you wanted to know about cockfighting, and he said you were to be trusted. I pointed to the arena. Is that where they're held, the cockfights? He laughed. No, we actually do hold rodeos here, once a month at least, both vaquero and American. He took my elbow and guided me around an oak to a smaller path, which led to a pristine metal building with tiers of canted rows of windows, tilted to let in sunlight, but at an angle that made it impossible to see in from outside. Inside, I understood I was in the Taj Mahal of hen houses. Climate controlled with filtered air, sunlit apartments filled with happy chickens. If the slow contented clucking was any indicator, chickens of all colors walked and scratched and sat asleep on fresh straw in tears stretching to the roof. These are the hens, Mike explained. We sell some eggs at our roadside stand, good cover. About half of them are breeders from long lines of fierce ancestors. Rockefeller couldn't afford these eggs for breakfast. Beyond the hens was a metal wall that had a metal door with a coded entry lock. Mike punched some numbers. Beyond was Fort Rooster. The walls resounded with roosters in full cry, roosters pacing back and forth on their sawdust runways, roosters pecking at whole corn cobs and their reflections in small mirrors, combs engorged, metallic feathers flashing, mindless, mindless bright eyes reflecting us. These birds with their herky-jerky movements seemed almost reptilian, seemed more reptilian than avian. I noticed metal bowls in a lot of the cages that seemed to have what looked like steak tartare, diced cubes of dark flesh. I pointed, you feed them meat? Horse meat, Mike said, low fat, lots of protein. Chickens eat meat? In the wild, Mike said, chickens eat anything. Bugs, lizards, snakes, rats, other chickens. People too, if they find a body. and literary expertise are deep in this front row. I'm sorry, I'm, like, I'm looking at all their faces because we all sat close to the mic, but you'll get to know them uh, a little bit better now. I both want to invite you all to stand up and say a little bit more about anything, about what it's been like doing this or your relationship to Mark. And I want to invite um, all of you, including those of you that need to get to come up front and sit down, but uh, just Please, we're, we're eager. This book has only been out for a few days, so we are dying to know what people think, why you're here tonight, what your connection is to noir or this, anything. I'd love to hear from you. Um, so we can see everyone. Yeah, if you want, just uh, come on. So we can point out people we don't want to answer. Just see what we can Based in reality, if there is in fact a top of the hall of the and free 
I can't speak from that part. Um, but uh, uh, I always, when I get to, to, to this kind of question, and if you answer it honestly, it's going to be embarrassing. And I always like Carolyn Shute's um, answer. She wrote a wonderful novel called The Beans of Egypt, Maine, which is about basically lumberjacks, literate lumberjacks on speed and welfare um, in, in lower Maine. And when somebody said, how in the world did you get to know anything about these people? She says, oh, this book was involuntarily researched. <laughs> um, but for me, the story, Peter Beagle, who was one of my early heroes in Santa Cruz, uh, wrote The Last Unicorn, in the 60s wrote an amazing story. This was when the last days of the Saturday Evening Post when they were publishing marvelous stuff because nobody cared and nobody was going to get sued. And he did a long, long article on cockfighting in Coralitos and Watsonville. And that was my first introduction. And since then, it's sub Rosa, but every once in a while, you'll see that they bust 300 people out in the middle of... of Pear, uh, what, what's the plumwood? What's the there's you know Corlitos and and weird little Prundale, yeah, yeah. Three three thousand flea you know police in, in Prundale, and you're thinking what? Um, so yeah, that's been going on for a long, long time. You know, Prundale has been rebranded as Royal Oaks. <laughs> and, uh, if you're an old timer from Prundale, you call it Kentucky. First yeah. <laughs> and you are not going to call it Royal Oaks, no matter what they're trying to do to land prices. We, we remain firm. Uh, Naomi, is it true that your um, family is down in South Yonge, or is that just all of my imagination? So, if you're along the highway near the uh, Red Roof Inn, yeah. right, in Watsonville, yeah. you see that a band, it looks like a, it's like a ghost, like a haunted house, a Victorian. And that's the Redmond Hirahara house. So that's my, um, my relatives. My dad had um, lived there. My dad was born um, but in Watsonville, but his family went over to Hiroshima. But then he returned by himself to, to Watsonville. <laughs> um, he's the architect. Uh, and he's done a number of, right, you're yeah. familiar with the, or, well, not all of you, but the architecture in Watsonville, which is very eclectic and has a number of those. The yeah. house is currently levitating. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so my, I, I write the Maserai mystery series. I don't know if any of you are familiar with it, but it's, you know, your regular, you know, Japanese American gardener who also, who, atomic bomb survivor who also solves crimes. <laughs> yeah, and there's one of them, um, Strawberry Yellow takes place in Uh, I actually write across a wide variety of fiction, and this is actually because I know people who are into noir, and I got a taste for reading it. And then this, uh, as I told Susie, I said, my friend Adrian McKinty is editing one, and my friend John McFetridge is editing another, I want to be in yours. And <laughs> that's how I got in. And, and then I had to come up with something dark, but I had read enough dark stuff. 
that I could fake it because I'm not really that dark. Any next to anybody? Uh, well, Sure, sure. Talk about um, especially because um, uh, yours has to do with a mother and a daughter, and yeah. uh, here you are about to have a... Yeah, be a mother again, yes. Um, well, so my previous experience in the noir genre is zero, to the point where when I got the email um, soliciting a story from Susie, I almost wrote back no, because I wouldn't know where to begin or how to do that, because I've written mainly... Um, fiction from which I've drawn from my life, like Mexican High is loosely based on a high school I went to in Mexico City, and then my following two books were a memoir and an essay collection, respectively, that are, of course, um, nonfiction. So, um, so this was my chance, I felt like, also after I got over the fear and decided not to say no, to um, be inventive and to learn how to write in a new genre. Um, so I was telling the podcasters before that um, more so than research, it's kind of opened that door to me. I read a bunch of other books in the series, um, and then ultimately I cheated a little bit because the sort of origin seed of the story that you heard from my excerpt was that I, uh, there was a stolen hotel towel, and I can only admit this because we're outside of Santa Cruz right now. <laughs> I cannot say this in the hometown reading. My mother stole a towel from the Dream Inn and gave it to me. And I said, how could you do that? How could you steal something? And that's terrible. I'm going to give it back. And then I realized it was a passport into like this beautiful pool overlooking the ocean. And I had called them and said, can I pay as a local to use your pool? And they said no. So I was like, OK, we'll just try this. And then I've been obsessed with the marine life in Santa Cruz. So I kind of married those two things and added a touch of magic and the requisite darkness. Um, and now I'm writing a completely imaginative novel. So I have to thank um, Susie and this uh, opportunity for kind of breaking me of just my old staid writing habits and getting me to take risks and try new things. Okay. Maybe I'll paraphrase what Lou said. There's some involuntary research. Um, <laughs> I mean, I didn't obviously murder anybody, but um, <laughs> I, I lived there for a long time, and I saw a lot of different side. I saw a different side of Santa Cruz, um, the kind of flip side, and uh, I just started writing about it. And uh, that's w why I did. Um, I don't know. I can't tell you. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was a blessing. It was, it was a great, yeah, it was a yeah. fun idea. Yeah. So, I, I, I think my origin in noir is kind of boring, but when I first started sending out short stories for submission, I had a short story collection come out in 2015 on an e-book, Sad Girls and Other Stories. You can still find it. Um, but the editor had turned a bunch of stories back to me because she said they were too weird. And it was a literary press in Massachusetts, and they were very nice people. And um, there's a bunch of things that were too weird, and I didn't really think they were weird, and I didn't understand uh, the rejection. And uh, and then I reread them, and I was like, oh, there's like something really fucked up happening in each of these stories where it could have gone someplace, and it whoosh, 
went someplace else and I was like oh and then actually I talked to Ariel about it and she's like you're writing noir I'm like that's what I'm writing okay <laughs> so I was already doing it I just now have a name for it yeah you need branding I, I, I am now branded <laughs> On that note, I can define my involvement with this genre in one word. Payback. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Payback. These, the story is based on an amalgam of real people who did real things, real bad, and I feel like this is what they need to hear, you know? They need to kind of get the reflection back and kind of... But those guys are never going to read, you know? So so I, ho I think I'm safe, I, I hope.
Did you want to say anything about your introduction? Why you
and a book bonch, of course, right? And she had this um, poster that was a facsimile of the Japanese all that before, you know, the poster, right? Just here, the basic page out of ice. And um, actually, she showed it even at I understood what it meant, but I did not know what it was. Like, what is this show? And we were talking about it, and I was like, you're kidding. And she's like, yeah, I'm on a bad day for the sanity of And I was like, what? You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.